If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Crypto with Accountants, powered by BitWave, where we talk with technologists and crypto enthusiasts as we discuss current events in economy, politics, technology, and digital assets with thought leaders from around the world. Today, we have a brilliant guest and someone who has an immense wealth of knowledge in the Web3 industry. Welcome, Eleni Steinman. Eleni is the co-founder and CEO of Loop Crypto, where she is enabling autopay in Web3. Loop's suite of APIs, tooling, and smart contracts make it simple for businesses and projects to receive and send crypto payments on an automated basis. As she and her co-founder, Shane Van Koller, it founded Loop in 2021 to solve the challenges of on-chain recurring transactions. Loop is backed by premier investors, including A16Z, Archetype, A Capital, Alchemy Ventures, Coinlist, and a dozen of angels who are building uh, and founders themselves. Eleni, thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure. And um, we just are really appreciative of, of what you're doing in the space and helping to build the community. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat about payments. Yeah, we love we love talking about payments. And we've we've been seeing a really big uptick this year in payments, uh, moving over to crypto. Well, I'm sure we'll kind of get to that. But where we always like to start these things out is tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what uh where do you come from and how'd you end up getting into crypto? Yeah, so I probably have a little bit of an unlikely path into crypto. I used to work at the federal government uh, and I did trade finance. Uh, I spent about six years there and really enjoyed my time, but wanted to get into the private sector and work in fintech. So I went to business school uh, at Yale, where I discovered crypto and uh, I just knew it was the industry I wanted to be in. And this was oh, almost six years ago now. Got a job in Chicago at a company that was originally focused on scalability. Now they do like um, trading, DeFi trading tools. And that's where I met my co-founder, Shane. And it's also where we saw this first problem of crypto payments. And so when we left... Oh, I was just going to say, how did... So so let's uh, let's start a business school there. Uh, yeah. Was it a class that introduced you? Was it just uh, trolling no. Reddit? Like what, uh, what got... What, what, what piqued the curiosity? I think... So I knew I wanted to work in startups and my background was finance. So I was looking for fintech startups I bet you I just like Googled and found the Bitcoin white paper on Reddit. And then I found Princeton had put out these textbooks on cryptography and like explaining how blockchains work. And they were honestly wonderful. And I just spent like hours reading them and they had some videos too at the time. And I sort of knew like, if to me it felt like this is the internet, you know, 20 years ago. and here's my chance to get in at something like pretty early that could change the way people interact with each other. Yeah. Any, anything in particular piqued your curiosity? I mean, did you like, did you like the peer to peer nature of it? Did you like the, uh, cause when you got into it, it was sort of DeFi, it was DeFi around. So did you like some of the DeFi no. stuff? This was before DeFi really. Actually the thing that got me excited was owning your digital identity. So these ideas of like, you know, instead of having like walled gardens of um, companies sort of know who you are on the internet and that leads to, you know, monopolies and oligopolies and 
Now there was this technological threat to that where you could own your online identity. And so companies actually had to compete on providing you the best experience uh, versus like knowing the most information about you. Yeah. Like the block stack days. We're, we're really only just starting to see that come to fruition. It's been, it's been one of those longtime promises of crypto is this idea of owning your data, owning your identity, gain to sell it. And we're just now starting to see really interesting stuff happening around medical, like people have been trying to kind of turn this into a, into owning your DNA and being able to, to grant access to it. But the place that we've been seeing it a lot is in the gaming space where you can do this really, it's, it's this really interesting flipping of the world to go from like me as, me as a, as a product individuals as products to this idea of like hey you know you can see me playing a game if it's an on-chain game you can watch my address playing that game and then you can now actually do analytics around there to see what are the games that i play and competing game providers can actually start airdropping you tokens or, or inventory items or whatever it is and this idea that's it's sort of like this idea of flipping the flipping the conversation of me as a product that people sell the data on to me as as the owner of my my activity and I'm just getting sent stuff to kind of reward me for it. It's a really exciting part about this, but kind of nascent. Yeah, I definitely agree that like there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to get built before the promised land is there. But I mean, just the fact that you have a wallet and you can take with you your wallet to every single DAP and a lot of these DAPs that need to compete on like a feature set, I think already is just a huge improvement to the Web3 world. Yeah. Okay. So you ended up at a at a company doing uh, scaling scaling solutions, and I think some trade trade routing stuff and things like that, if I remember correctly. So then, yeah, what exactly. what got you excited to go strike out on your own? So it was a hard question. Uh, I think starting a company is something I'd always wanted to do, um, and it was definitely on the back of my mind. But I mean, quite frankly, I owe a lot to Ash even at Archetype. He's, I've known him for a while, and we were chatting about like what my next step would be, and it was almost his idea that I should leave and start something, and he was happy to see Shane and I as a team. He'd known both of us for a while. We built products together before and launched it successfully, and um, it was, you know, sort of a dream come true in, in that sense. Uh, but yeah. yeah, and so how did you end up on the payment side? I mean, what? what give us the you know uh, yeah. every every founder always has the story, the genesis story. How'd you how'd you end up on payments? Yeah, because of how we got started, it gave us space to sort of take a step back and say, okay, like, what are all the problems we've personally had in crypto that are big enough to solve that we're the right people to solve? And we, you know, we went through a bunch and we landed on payments because it was actually a problem we had at our old company where they were trying to charge DeFi traders a crypto subscription. And every month, you had to go to the customer and say, send me money. And obviously, that leads to high churn. There's also a lot of um, difficulties around metadata. Someone just sends you money to your wallet, and you don't know who it's from, right? You've got to like go and track it down. You need to put it in your accounting system. And we realized that the missing feature is something we all take for granted, which is auto pay, right? You just give Netflix your credit card, and every single month, it gets charged. And it just works. And so we set out to solve that problem from the premise of like payments are never going to be a thing in Web3 if we can't at least have feature parity with Web2. And this is like a key feature that both companies and end users require. 
Now, what's, what ends up being sort of interesting about that, of course, is that as soon as you start looking at that, you're, you end up being faced with a lot of questions about, well, centralization, like how you actually go and implement a recurring payment model is always a really tricky. How did you guys approach that from kind of day one? Did you take a real hard stance of, you know, decentralization has to be step one for everything and then, and then go from there? Or were you at, did you actually go through looking at centralized models, un- decentralized models, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so we take the premise of like, what are the killer features of crypto that we wanted to preserve? And to us, that was self-custody and interoperability. And then on the spectrum, giving people the option to choose their spectrum of decentralization. Uh, Because you can see in Web3, like as it is today, depending on what application you use, there are points of centralization. But the important thing is, you as an end user can choose how much or how little of that as you want. And so we built the system to be extremely flexible. And in the end, actually, end users have way more control than you would in in Web2. And one of the most obvious ways is you can actually control how much a company is allowed to interact with your wallet, right? In Web2, you give them your credit card and they can just charge it. Like there's absolutely nothing you can do. In Web3, you can set like actual dollar limits of how much a company can interact with your wallet. You can revoke it at any time and basically cut off that company. And that puts a lot of power back and control of the end user that you didn't have before. And are you are you guys focused only on USDC and stable coins? Do you cut across the entire spectrum of stable coins to, to base tokens to any 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 single token you want to pay? How do you think about that? So any ERC-20 token works with our tax. For the most part, companies and end users, especially in down markets, want to pay in stable coins, but we're agnostic. We really built the system to be sort of plug and play. You can take, if you want to take like Pepe, you can accept Pepe the token if you would like. And if you want USDC, like you can accept USDC. And then how are you also, so then the other side, because I, and I know we, we talked about this a little bit while we were steady up here is, is this idea of, of the off ramps here. So I assume that part of your world is really thinking, because you, you guys are all end to end crypto. Is that right? Like you're really full, full crypto up and down the stack, right? Yeah. So the premise that we're taking is right now at the stage that crypto is in, the people who want to pay in crypto, live and breathe in crypto. And this sort of goes back to where the idea came from of like someone who's a DeFi trader that earns in crypto probably doesn't even live in the U.S. so has trouble accessing dollars. They prefer to pay in crypto because it's just, it's a better rails for them. And we're building loops so that in the future, when, you know, crypto becomes more prevalent, there's more tooling, maybe you are paying Netflix with USDC and you as an end customer just don't know that. And so with, uh, with that frame, we stick in the crypto-to-crypto realm, but we partner with off-ramps or even on-ramps when that's happening. Well, I was just going to ask you, so yeah, so what are your, who do you tend to partner with? Because I, sh- I assume most of the businesses that you deal with um, do need to off-ramp at some point. You know, we're still in that world where you can't, you can't pay your AWS bill with crypto yet, so there's an off-ramp. How do you, how do you, who do you guys partner with? How do you think about that off-ramp, that off-ramp cycle? So a few things. First, we let you send money anywhere you want. You just need to give us an address on the same chain. And so a lot of people just send it to an exchange and that comes with de facto offering. The second thing we do is 
we'll partner with companies like Ansible Labs, so they help you convert immediately into Fiat. Or if you're an individual, you can use a company like Parallax. They'll help you again convert um, directly from Fiat to crypto, or sorry, from crypto to Fiat. But it's up to the end customer to decide, you know, where they want their money sent, like what's the best way. To do you think? Do you think there's still a lot of friction there? I mean, that's it's one of those things that, like, if you're if well, maybe Walmart's a bad example, but maybe uh, a little a little store, mom and pop store in a tourist area or something like that. You know, they might not be comfortable with exchanges. I mean, how do you think there's still a lot of friction on the on ramping off ramp side, or do you do you guys kind of think that that's a solved problem? That's why you're not you're not really touching it too much. I actually think it's more of like a timing of where the industry is. Question right now, the people who want to accept crypto do so because their customers live and breathe crypto and. They're not as, um, like, maybe even eager to turn it into fiat. If you accept USDC for the most part, like, you're comfortable just keeping USDC on your balance sheet because you might also be paying for things in crypto. In the future, you know, one day when crypto is the payment rail, then, yes, like, we probably need cleaner and, like, easier onboarding and offboarding solutions. But in my opinion, that's probably, like, five years away. Yeah. So let's let's get into talk about Loop a little bit deeper here. So what what chains are you guys on, and what do you what are you seeing in the in that side of the space? Like, are you seeing really high demand for particular L twos? Are you on L ones? Like, what's what are you seeing from like the technical uh, yeah. base platform side? So we're on Ethereum, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Binance, and we're going to launch on Optimism uh, near, near future. Basically, we're compatible with any EVM chain, and we'll go to a chain if we have a customer um, large enough that demands it. In terms of activity, we are seeing more more customers move towards L2s, especially as like bridging becomes easier and gas fees go up on Ethereum. And which, uh, and and when you guys are thinking about L2s, I mean, do you have strong opinions, or you're just you're just following your customers? We're just following our customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is always fun. And what do you, and so then what do you, what kind of stuff are you supporting your customers on doing? I mean, is it, is it all subscription payments? Are you guys seeing more metered payments like, you know, like AWS, something like that, like metered payments on that side? What's the, what's the state of the art here? Yeah. So, well, okay. There's two use cases. One is getting paid. So these subscription payments are one-time payments we also support. And then another use case that we support is paying contributors or paying others. And we saw sort of the multi-sig coordination problem, which I can talk about in a second. But on the getting paid side, the way that Loop works is really at its core, we're payment processors. So you tell us how much you want to get paid and then we process it on-chain, which means if you're doing something like metered billing, you can use any system you want to calculate that bill and then you tell us and we process. So. Something that we're actually excited to announce, we'll probably announce before this gets released, but we're announcing it in two days, is an integration that we have with Stripe, which essentially you can use Stripe as your front end. So you can use them to collect fiat, but also use them to collect crypto via Loop. And the way that works is we essentially, through API keys, we pull in your plans to our systems. And then when Stripe creates an invoice, we just take that invoice and convert it to like Loop's version of an invoice and process payment on chain. But by doing it that way, Stripe is creating an invoice based off our meter plan, then we can also just automatically bill based off that plan. 
I assume that a lot of people were asking for that because they're still most most of your customers are still in a world where they're accepting both credit cards and and crypto and they just want to kind of tie it all together nicely. Yeah, for the most part, what we see with their customers is they'll start with fiat because that's what they know best. And then all of a sudden they have one customer that wants to pay them in crypto. And maybe they showed them a wallet address because it's fast. But eventually, by you get by the time you get to five or six customers, you're having this problem of following up with them every single month, making sure that they're paying, tracking down the metadata, making sure it goes into your accounting system. And then they tend to find loop. And they can either onboard you know, natively with our front ends. And now with this integration with Stripe, it should be even easier to use us. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really exciting. Did you guys build that entirely or did you guys get support from Stripe on that? Like, do they actually... Uh, so we are in contact with the team and, you know, chat with them, but we were able to do it as is given their current architecture. Oh, that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm just, you know, Stripe, Stripe compared to someone like uh, uh, Square has, has been a little bit slower on the crypto side. So I think we're all kind of ex- like, I wouldn't say excited, but we are all kind of watching to see what Stripe eventually does in the, uh, in the industry here. Yeah. I mean, our technology is really crypto native and we think, and actually even from talking to the Stripe team, they seem to believe as well that a team like ours is best position to solve this problem because we live and breathe smart contracts in the crypto community and sort of know the players in this space uh, while Stripe is huge and probably has other things going on. They got a, they got a few things going on right now. <laughs> Although it is, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, done right, this is very disruptive like to both like Square and Stripe's business, potentially these things are very, very disruptive. This and that's that's sort of what I love about this is the idea of that that two and a half percent kind of tax that the credit card companies sort of extract, like getting that back to individuals. I mean, it's money you basically get to keep in a in a in a roundabout sort of way, right? Yeah, it's a yeah, credible threat to what has been a monopoly for a pretty long time. For a very, yeah, very long time here. Um, I want to step back really, really quickly here and talk about something from your past that I'm kind of curious. Because so you're at the the Import Export Bank, the U.S. or Export Import Bank uh, in the U.S. here, uh, which must have been a fascinating job. Like it's got to be really interesting. Did that does that make you think? Do you, did that does that actually influence how you think about crypto payments? Because I mean, obviously. That was an incredibly complex, The that bank in particular runs an incredibly complex, multi-layer, uh, I'm sure hundreds of different banks interact with payment rail system. And I mean, the and like what they're actually paying out to and all the, the lending they do. Has that influenced how you think about crypto or your, your mentality there? To be honest, not until you asked me. Uh, I think for the most part, when I think about like legacy systems and how do you bring them to, you know, modern times. I think about, you probably need a technology that is like 100x better to make it worth the pain because there's nothing worse than doing like a systems upgrade. And I do believe like blockchain and crypto and the excitement around it probably is has been, there is the best position to lead to that overhaul, but it's going to take a really long time. And it'll probably take like a, you know, the federal government needs to be more supportive of um, <laughs> or supportive at all. <laughs> yeah, we support at all. Digital payment rail, but I do think it can help a ton. Are you are so speaking of that? That's super interesting. Are you seeing uh, pickup? I assume you guys work all over the world. Or are you focused on the U.S. markets? 
Uh, we're global, but I would say that we are focused mostly on crypto markets. Uh, are you on the you on U.S. markets, or you do you yeah. see like are you guys seeing big international demand right now? Yeah, so a lot of our customers' customers are international. So yeah. a lot of the DeFi traders tend to live somewhere else. Or if you're a DAO that's using Loop to pay your contributor, for the most part, you're probably paying someone who's outside of the U.S., right? Your incentive to use you know, non-traditional rails increases when banking makes it difficult. Right. When you guys think about product, is there anything that you do that's more focused for the global markets? Or like the example I'll give, and this is, I was sort of poking at it earlier when we're talking about the L2s, but like if you're doing a lot with payments around, let's say Argentina, you know, a dollar for fees in Argentina is whatever. It's That's one to 2% of your of your monthly take home versus a dollar in fees in America is, is 0.001% or something like that. Like, do you guys tend to see different requirements, different demands from international customers in that way? It's something that we've definitely like heard about from companies that want to use us, but it seems like there's missing pieces of the infrastructure, especially at that like last mile that hasn't been built yet. But it is something extremely bullish about, especially sort of like paying contributors or paying workers in other countries, just cross order payments really suck. Yeah. And uh, crypto is well positioned to solve that from a technical perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's, we're all, we're all really excited about that piece of it. And this idea of banking the unbanked, I mean, that's how a lot of us ended up getting into crypto at the very beginning is this idea of, of uh, democratizing access to financial services. But it, then you do run into these interesting questions of like, well, if you're paying, if you're paying, you know, right now ETH gas is, is incredibly high because of the Pepe launch. So you are seeing these like five to $20 fees, which essentially would be unusable if there's any sort of like fee component when you're receiving funds. And I, I, it'd be good to hear if, if you guys, if that is required or how you think about that. But it does it does limit the the geographies in the world that you even could think about operating because that's so much money in some parts of the world. Yeah, I I think for the most part, if your end user doesn't demand being on Ethereum, you probably just don't use Ethereum. Like you probably don't want to be, yeah, yeah, or you use another L1 that has lower gas because the large majority of the world, ninety nine point nine percent, shouldn't know or care what the rails are of what how they're getting paid just like yeah you know most of us have no idea how the internet works when we're using it every day yeah um, and so that is the promised land that we're building for but we're not there today and so our view is to build a product for the people who are using crypto right now but build it in a way that is flexible enough to meet the needs of like the next billion that get into crypto yeah Absolutely. Are you seeing demand? So do you guys offer a streaming a streaming product or is it all kind of discrete discrete uh, payment points? It's discrete payment points. I have a soapbox about streaming. I lo- I'd but- love to hear it because we, we've had people talking about streaming. At our conference, we did a panel. We had the uh, Superfluid guys on it to talk about streaming. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it turned into some great discussion because some of the folks hate streaming. Some of the folks love it. Uh, and it's it's one of those things that I think was it's one of the promises of crypto is this idea of having streaming payments or being able to sort of do payments differently, but I'd love to hear your soapbox. Yeah. Okay. A couple of things. Um, like first I think streaming has, there's probably a very narrow use case that it's really good for. And I think over the last few years, people were experimenting to figure out what those use cases 
that use case was. And so, of course, there were instances of where it didn't play out to be the best solution. But the biggest issue, at least that we see with streaming, is that you don't actually stream anything. You move money into a contract, and then someone else has to pull the money out, right? So there's nothing automated about that process. It's you're constantly pushing, and someone else is constantly pulling, which means you need to make sure the contract has enough money. The second biggest issue is you're fixing the exchange rate at the time that you're moving it in. So if you want to get paid in anything aside from a stable coin and you price it in dollars, you run the risk that at the end of the stream, you didn't actually get the dollar amount that you set out. Right? And that can create a lot of issues, especially for an employee, let's say, who really depends on, on the end of the day, making $1,000. Uh, and if they're getting paid in ETH, they could end up with 800 And so I think... There are use cases where streaming makes a ton of sense, but in terms of something like a subscription, where it tends to be the company that chooses the payment frequency, and it's the company also has the power, so they just rather you pay every month. It helps with their accounting, it helps with their forecasting, they rather book the entire amount than run the risk of you like turning on and off the product as you use it, right, because of how streams work. So, at least for the segment that we're going after. Interesting. So first of all, like we, we can do kind of discretized uh, handling of streams. So that part, you know, you can handle it if you're doing daily, weekly, hourly stream recognition. And a lot of folks that are doing streaming are working with like USDC and stuff. But the part that's actually super interesting is that like, uh, just because you're using streams or not using streams, accounting for this stuff can be very complicated no matter what. Like whether you're doing, if you're using ETH, even if you're getting paid, that itself is incredibly complicated because you still are picking up an obligation when you sign the contract that then has to have a forex adjustment overlaid on top of it. So no matter what, there's complexity that comes into the into the world that any deferred revenue you do from a subscription model, especially if you're actually pricing out an ETH, the the accounting side gets very, very complicated no matter what you're kind of doing in this space here in an interesting think, kind of way. I think I meant more like a lot of the ways the companies operate is you know, they open an invoice and it becomes account receivable and then you get paid and then they close it. And that becomes muddled when you're doing streaming. Yep. First, again, you're probably accepting both fiat and crypto and you don't necessarily want to build out entire new systems just for the crypto. So yeah, yeah. Our is, is at least in this moment, we should meet people while, where they are to help encourage them to adopt crypto. Yeah, super interesting. Um, do you see do you see big differences between because you you guys do both the payment so the AP and the AR side so receiving payments as a company and then paying out. Tell me a little about about the different challenges you see between those two sides of it. Uh, if that if that question kind of makes sense, but I assume they're they're pretty different models. Like paying bills and getting paid are pretty different models. Yeah, I mean, this is more of an internal challenge. We have to. Think of how to structure not only our front end and our back end, but do it in a way that was flexible enough to handle both directions, but also simple enough that someone knew how to use it and could like triage into what solution they wanted. And that, you know, quite honestly, has taken a lot of iteration and just yeah. great feedback from customers. In the the biggest use case for the paying out that we see is we solve something called the multi-sig coordination problem, which is basically you have DAOs or even companies that have authorization to pay. So they've already gotten the approval from their community to make discrete payments over time. But 
payment, you know, every month. And it could be they're paying 10 people a month for six months. And so if it's a three to five, I mean, you're talking about a lot of signatures that need to happen. Yeah. It's 30, 30 you, signatures a month from 50 right. people that you're bugging for signatures. Interesting. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you use our system, what we do is we allow you to give the authorization up front for all six, let's say, of those payments, you know, six dates for 10 different people. And then we can layer on Web2 control that don't have to happen on chain. So you could still have a user flow of like, this person needs to tee up the transaction, this other person needs to check it. But there's flexibility there too. You can change out who has to check it. You can um, make you know transactions sort of happen in parallel. When you're strapped away, pretty much, you know, working with smart contracts and using them at the key moments that it matters when you want to collect that authorization, then I think you can just do a lot more things with blockchain. Yeah, super, super interesting. Yeah, that is that is a really interesting challenge when you get to some of these big DAOs like that. That is really interesting. How do you guys think? Because you you must have a pretty good set of APIs for developers too. So if you're if you're doing a recurring payment, you need to be able to make sure the payment went through in order to keep service up and things like that. So I assume you have all the APIs for that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we use Webhook. So we'll let you know that something got paid on chain with the Webhook. Because it's crypto, you don't even have to, like, you can just monitor the contract yourself and see that it got paid or, you know, monitor the mempool. But, yeah, we do use APIs and webhooks and a lot of Web2 tools so that companies can take those on-chain payments and permission people into their system. Actually, relatedly, something interesting that you can do with Loop is you don't even need to build out a permissioning system. You could use sign-in with Ethereum. So if someone pays on chain because that transaction exists on the blockchain, then you could build, okay, well, if this wallet has paid us, then when this wallet signs into our gap, they get access, right? Cool. So, so you, you actually have the this, the contracts you set up actually have like callable, callable interfaces to check payment status? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to ask us for permission. It's, it's public. So. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, on that side. But it is... Uh, but it's 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 done in a way that you're not having to like index a bunch of transactions. Like there's just a a simple smart contract call you can make to kind of check it out. Uh, no, I think you would still need to use. Oh, okay. So you track you track through the index the you track through all the transactions you have it there. Yeah. No, it is. It's it the the public nature of the stuff makes it really really interesting. Now speaking of that though, the next topic I would bring up would be: Are you guys seriously thinking about, or how do you think about the? totally public versus obfuscated and what's going to happen in that that part of the world yeah i mean there are more privacy protecting blockchains that are coming out and i think those who really care about privacy will opt for those blockchains and use us you know in that way in in the same vein i actually think sometimes people want to see the transactions and a good example again is DAOs, right like you have this community that you want to show you're actually using the money as though you said you would. And so the fact that it's public is extremely important. Yeah. Um, no, that's, and it's a great feature of crypto on that side. But then the other side of that, of course, would be, you know, Wal let's take Walmart. Cause I always, I'm excited for the day that Walmart starts taking crypto. Yeah. Uh, they, of course, you know, a, they're a public company. There's a lot of different reasons that they have to be incredibly careful about, any sort of de-anonymized revenue data. 
So yeah. for instance, like if you were actually tracking them to see how their sales are, you know, in, in this in this future perfect world where everyone's using crypto, if you actually have all of your crypto, your transactions on chain, and someone can figure out what your address is, your smart contract is, suddenly you've given a lot of information to your competitors, to the analysts, to stock traders. There's all this other stuff. Do you Have you guys heard, do you guys get that, that objection a lot or is that just not coming up yet? It hasn't really come up to be honest. For the most part, people want to get paid and those living and breathing crypto have sort of accepted the public nature of it and like I said, sometimes lean into it. But in the future, you know, I do think there are solutions to this problem that will allow companies to, you know, high transactions where they need to. I mean, you just deploy many contracts or Again, you could use like a ZK rollup that has some sort of anonymity to it where it becomes much more difficult to track who's getting paid and what they're getting paid for. Yeah. Well, it's something that we think about just because we tend to work with a lot of auditing firms and things like that. And that ends up being a really interesting question of like, because there are limitations to releasing your revenue data if you're a public company. So like public companies have an expectation that they're not releasing data, or if they are releasing it, they're releasing it universally as part of their their public proceedings. And that then makes the blockchain really interesting if you are if you do have that as a major revenue or expense stream, that suddenly you are potentially releasing data that you shouldn't be releasing and things like that. So I, I mean, I think someone's got to come up with, a, with some solutions around here and that could just be using ZKs and things like that. But it is, it's a question we hear uh, quite a bit from the big enterprise customers that we deal yeah. with. I mean, another solution could be like Walmart has their own blockchain that is not super, it's not public, but you can easily bridge into it. Yeah. So I could lose my money on one chain, natively bridge to theirs. It's actually a private blockchain, but then it gets to pay. Yeah. Yeah. It's some of the cool stuff that's happened like in, uh, avalanche with the subnets and be able to actually overlay, you know, have really easy bridging, but then be able to overlay that with like different considerations like privacy and stuff like that. What else, what else is getting you excited about crypto right now? So besides, besides moving a little bit away from payments, like what else are you loving in the crypto world right now? Yeah. I think a lot of the creator economy things I find extremely exciting. Yeah. We chat with a lot of platforms that are trying to disrupt like the Patreons of the world and, you know, um, Twitch take like 50% of the revenue from the creators and they can do that because, you know, they have this platform of that. And uh, we're really excited to see that also get disrupted. Yeah. I 100% agree because it is crazy between YouTube, Twitch, all the different guys that are out there, even Kickstarter, the fees that they take are, are uh, usurious at best. And that just gets back to this idea of, of kind of like self-determination of your finances and this peer-to-peer, the peer-to-peer model around all this kind of stuff. Are there people yeah. working? I actually haven't seen Is there someone working on a, on a really cool decentralized Twitch competitor? Yeah. Or, I don't know about videos in particular, but like one company we're working with is called Bonfire at XYZ. They have a creator platform that helps you like manage your community. Another one is so kind of a little bit more like Patreon in that way. Like it's a community yeah. management and you subscribe to like be part of the community there. Exactly. Yeah. They, they help communities manage their community. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah. Well, it was also, it was one of the big themes at GDC. So we, we always go to GDC every year. And one of the big things of GDC this year was creator economy. Now this is from a gaming perspective, but you know, Unreal's big announcement was all around tools for you know people to create their own games and then sell them 
uh, that was the same. You know, Avalanche and Polygon were both there talking about their side of it. But it was one of the major themes of GDC is this idea of of giving tools to creators to create on the platforms. And crypto just fits in that world so nicely because then you're, again, you're paying peer-to-peer. You're cutting out the middlemen in a lot of those cases. Good economic, unit economics on it. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, the whole idea of artists is about building a community and crypto is set up to... Um, benefit those who build communities well. So it's yeah. like a natural place for them. Yeah, right. it's uh it's really true. So uh okay, so I love it. So creator economy stuff. That's a great that's a great answer to the uh to the question there. What do you see as some of the challenges? I mean we always talk we always talk about uh user experience as a continued challenge in the space, but do you think that that's getting solved or do you have other big challenges that you're you keep your eye on? I uh, I sort of have Two of two minds of this. I actually think down markets are like the best time to build. There's just less noise. Most people in the space are really committed to it. And you kind of get that, like, I'm going to say free space to really build a product for like your power users who are still here. But the flip side of that is I do think a lot of people got burned, like not crypto native people in the last bull run, especially those that were playing in NFTs and were excited about artists in the space. And it, it could be difficult to win them back. And so I see a big challenge. It's less of a technology and more of a social issue of like, okay, how do we communicate to those who don't live and breathe crypto? Um, but there is value here and they should, you know, give it another shot. Not not everything's a, not everything's a scam. <laughs> no, no. That's, but then, that's... of course, we go through these moments like right now, which is like... <laughs> you know with uh the gas and and uh for these on these kind of meme coins like i i for one was of the mind that meme coins were officially dead they got deaded after like 2020 and there was just no bringing them back and yet and yet here we are uh yeah. with another big meme coin coming out so i i guess i don't know <laughs> well one thing i did have a question for you is we, we do see you know a lot of these traditional firms and counting firms and customers are, they're having their clients talk about you know, receiving the payments and crypto and, and trying to figure that out. How do they, how should they be talking to their, you know, that they don't really have a ton of knowledge in this? What are the good questions? How should they be talking to their clients about this on the crypto payment side? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first, obviously this is pretty biased, but the biggest pain point that we see with folks in receiving crypto is the lack of metadata. So what happens is you end up spending, spending for your account and a ton of money to track down a transaction and figure out like who paid you and for what. And the benefit of Loop is that that metadata is just natively there. Because it's a pull, we know exactly what it's for, who it's from, can tie it to a product. And then you can write rules in your accounting system, essentially, to just save you a lot of time and, quite frankly, a lot of money. In that vein, I think something that like we tell our customers to do is to set everything up right at the beginning, you know, like have one wallet and that's where all your money goes and have another wallet and you use that for all of your costs and another wallet that you use when you're going to deploy contracts. And so then, you know, if anything happens in those wallets, exactly what it's for. And so it's, I think it may be a little different than traditional accounting where you can like let things burn for a bit and then pay an account to come in and fix. In crypto, the the price tag to fix is just so big, and the the amount of time it takes to just set it up correctly in the beginning is so little. Um, actually, Jeff 
Byzantine wrote a blog post about this, just like five little tips that you can do now to save yourself a headache later. We've got we've got a couple of blog posts like that as well. We call it uh, we call it wallet hygiene. And actually, we would go further because we actually usually recommend that you separate out even your revenue stream, so you don't just have one wallet for your for your for like all revenue. You break it down by product or anything like that. I mean, it depends a little bit on kind of what your practices are and how good you are with crypto. But even if that's if that's a exchange deposit address or an actual physical address or a Gnosis vault. Uh, breaking it down by revenue stream and breaking your and then having kind of a couple of different expense wallets you spend out of makes your life super, super easy. And then obviously, yeah, we have a full rules engine to be able to do categorization and all that sort of stuff on on that side. It is a it is a tricky part of the uh, of the whole industry here. It is an interesting it'll be interesting to see as that how that kind of grows up, you know, whether that ends up being, you know, what you're talking about, which is sort of pulling the metadata in at the payment level. If we start to see more ENS kind of stuff, like different types of of NFTs that are used for identity, we was wrapping this conversation back to where we began. Here is you know one of the ideas you also could do is is having NFTs that represent your identity, so that that could then get surfaced up in terms of when you're paying people out. That of course is then ties back to this idea of of then the obfuscation and whether or not that's you know how sensitive you are about people seeing how much money you spend every month and how much money you make every month. But it is. It is a really interesting overall conversation around around this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my answer there is like, I think people use, they want to flex in the digital world, sort of like you flex in the, you know, real world. And where maybe you would buy like a fancy bag or a nice car to sort of show your status. Like in crypto, you buy your ENS, right? As sort of a way of signaling you're in certain communities or you buy an NFT as a way of signaling. So... I do think just with time, people will figure out and there'll be better established, you know, sort of norms about when you hide something and you private data and when you want to show the world something about yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's always, of course, a balancing act because you mentioned DAOs and we, you know, we also work a lot of nonprofits, which is again, that same thing where like, it's the pinnacle of transparency to see where every single dollar is flowing. You know, I deposit you a one USDC, and I can kind of track that all the way through to it getting to a, a you know a coffee farmer in Guatemala or whatever whatever it is. That's the pinnacle of a nonprofit is that hyper transparency, and even that's kind of nascent. You know, it's one of those things that even that's a little bit nascent in the industry is still being able to do that level of tracking. That's I'm really excited about that. Do you, you guys tend to work? You guys work with any nonprofits or anyone? on the taking donations through recurring payments sort of thing? We haven't. We've chatted with a few. And I mean, quite frankly, what we've learned is uh, donations are down in down markets. Yeah. People like donate crypto when at the price they're up. Yeah, donations are definitely down. And I, I, I think we haven't seen the killer app for it. Like, I think people are still figuring out this killer app that sort of gives you all that transparency to send the dollar and then... I mean, maybe that ends up being kind of what you guys are working on is that because you have to be able to see the dollar come in and then see the dollar go out and, and trace it all between everything. That ends up being yeah. really cool. We definitely support donations and have talked to a few platforms about accepting recurring crypto donations. Uh, I mean, they work just like a subscription, except there's no item. At right, end. right. <laughs> uh, just the feedback we've gotten from the nonprofits trying to accept donations is like, for the most part, people aren't donating in crypto. Yeah. yeah, people aren't donating. 
And then I assume a lot of the nonprofits, the ones that we talk to also want to off ramp as quickly as possible. So they don't, they're not interested in, in treasuring digital assets. Like they just want the USD to, to go and put it to work. So that ends up being kind of another issue in terms of this, in this like future utopia where you have this like transparency. If the first thing you do is immediately sell all your crypto, like it kind of like defeats a bit of the purpose. Yeah, so I'm I'm very confident we'll get there. I mean, I think a really simple solution to that is can you get yield on your crypto, right? So if keeping it in USDC yields you four percent, then you'll probably keep it in USDC, right? Yeah. We're trying to turn into fiat, um, and we're close. We've flirted with these solutions in the past. They just things go in cycles. Yeah, yeah, things go in cycles. Well, the last last question I'll ask you is is related to that, which is. So do you guys, or how do you think about factoring and other other pieces that come into play around payments, whether that be factoring or putting your money to work, like yield earning once you actually receive payments, or things like Klarna, which is obviously intimately tied to like the new the new world of payments, you know, Klarna has become such a critical part of it or the, the pay up front and borrow money kind of like world. How do you guys think about that in the crypto world? Yeah, so... We think about it a lot, which is why we built Loop really to be super flexible. And that's because at its core, you send us the payment request and we execute. And by having such a simple structure, that means like we are able to partner with companies like Halliday that are doing buy now, pay later, and they can leverage Loop to allow their end users to turn on automatic payments to repay that loan. And I definitely think that is coming. It's Still probably a little early for it to be more prevalent, but everything that exists in Web 2 will probably get rebuilt in Web 3 because yeah. it's been proven to be needed by customers, but the way that it gets rebuilt is going to be rethought to uphold those values we talked about at the beginning, you know, self-custody, interoperability, giving users more control because it has to be to be able to work in crypto. It's the whole point of crypto. It's why, it's why we're all here. Yeah. Well, uh, Eleni, this was this was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with us today. This was really interesting, really engaging, really enjoyed learning about about how you guys think about payments. And I and I love uh, I love people arguing about streaming. So it's one of those things. Like it's I love I love hearing the discussion because I think we all keep expecting it to happen and it hasn't. And it's it's a good question to keep on asking ourselves. So thank you so much for for your time today. Yeah, thank you. It was really fun. Thank you for having me. Appreciate oh, pleasure. How, how can anyone find you if we, um, they want to reach out to you and learn more about Loop Crypto? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you, I mean, you can find us at loopcrypto.xyz. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Eleni, E-L-E-N-I, thanks. Um, or you can find, you know, Loop Crypto at loopcrypto.xyz on Twitter as well. Awesome. And of course, you can find us at bitwave.io, and I'm at Pat White. Rafael, would you have a Twitter handle? What's your Twitter handle? I do. It's uh, uh, Rafael J. Costas PW. It's a bit long, but yeah, I'm on there. All right. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate it. We actually saw, thank you for some of the shout outs on Twitter of uh, how you're using Loop Crypto with Bitwave to to pay, to schedule your monthly yeah. uh, payments. So it's pretty cool. We are. Amazing. Yeah, Great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much, Lenny. Have a really wonderful day. Thanks everyone thank for tuning in.